What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, back in action here on a Sunday. Uh, we got a lot to discuss uh, in terms of sports news. Big weekend in the world of sports. A lot going on with the NBA playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs. But today we're primarily focusing on more Major League Baseball. We also had a breaking news here with the PGA Championship just wrapping up. Phil Mickelson has won the PGA Championship at age 50. Uh, so, so much to get into today. Guys, before I bring in the guest, I just want to say we had a really great show a few days ago. Just had Jordan Kimball on from The Bachelorette and Bachelor in Paradise. Uh, it was a lot of fun talking with him. We talked some sports. We talked some faith. talked some reality TV. Uh, so, And also welcome to plenty of the new listeners coming over here uh, for the guest who is bringing his audience here as well from OutKick. We have Gary Sheffield Jr. Uh, he's been over at OutKick for a year now, one of the rising stars in this industry. Does a great job. He covers a lot of sports, but I really love his baseball stuff. Welcome to the show, Gary. Hey, thank you so much for having me. And uh, I'm on a high right now just because of uh, what Phil just did. I, I did this a little bit, right? When when Tiger won the Masters, I booked a tee time maybe 15 minutes after. I hit the I literally hit the range and and played a full round of golf after Tiger won. So uh, I'm feeling good right now. That's awesome. And I got to say, before we do the whole sports thing, I, I mentioned this when we were chatting a little bit, but I, I emulated your dad's batting stance as a kid. Uh, I feel like a lot of kids probably did just because they thought it looked cool. But really, the toe tap, I thought he had such a great toe tap where he'd stride in the ball, and I yep. naturally emulated that. And it, it, it did me a lot of good, even if I get out there for a softball game these days. I'm still uh, wagging my bat like he did. Yeah, a, a lot of it... like. I think people think that it was, it was for style. Yeah. And, and while that, some of that may be true, he learned that from um, a hitting coach actually gave him the idea in the minor leagues. Now that, that was all a timing mechanism. My dad was struggling hitting sliders early in his career, especially early on in the minor leagues. So once he was able to make that adjustment, you see a little bit of that with, uh, with Clint Frazier, right? Where you're yeah. trying to, to hone that bat speed. Yeah. Well, my dad had to do the same thing when he was 17, 18 years old. Now, obviously, he found what worked for him. And then as the years go on, eventually people start to really enjoy that fans of baseball, they the all really of all sports will tell you they like some type of uniqueness to a player, whether no matter what you're doing differently, if you do something different, people are going to enjoy that they're going to emulate that. And I'm just glad that 12, 13 years <laughs> after my dad's even touched the field, that people still remember what he was doing and and that they have um, positive memories of him because I know I had a great time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was a great player. Uh, the thing for me, it was really a big weight transfer thing. I wasn't a very big kid, so I had to yeah. really generate as much of a weight transfer as I could to put mm -hmm. as much effort in the ball as every hitter should. And I just I copied that that toe tap, and then naturally the bat waving came with it. But I also I had to keep the bat waving too. Maybe not. I wasn't facing minor league pitchers. I was facing mm -hmm. guys who were tossing 70 in eighth grade or whatever. But <laughs> I mean, I think the thing was, is it, it, it was really good for me to keep my, keep my arms moving. I was an ADD type of kid. So for me to right. just go from being frozen to then trying to bring the bat through the zone, that was hard for me. Yeah. And it gets your body involved because people don't realize my dad was not a big guy. Hey, people say your dad's probably six, three, six, four, right? I'm like, no, that he's five eleven, two 200 pounds, 205. So he wasn't like, you know, width wise, he's a big guy, but 
I mean, he's not Ken Griffey Jr. He's not 6'3", 6'4", where he's just using leverage and he could stand still up tall. No, he has to get his legs involved. He needs to get his body involved in his core. You see that with Mookie Betts as well. He has a little bit of a bat waggle um, in some sort to get his entire body involved in the swing. And it, it makes for entertaining baseball when you see uh, guys of different stature playing good baseball. Yeah, Craig Council is one that everyone will always remember. That was such yes. an awkward stance, but it worked for him. <laughs> yeah, it and was awesome. It was awesome. And then I was uh, I sent you the Twitter clip uh, the other night. I was watching this reliever on the Angels, Alex Claudio. Had you seen that, guys? Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Is he the guy who's really tall and drops down low? So he No, that's a different guy. But this guy, okay. what Claudio does, he throws like a high of 84, and he throws a 70-mile-hour changeup. And oh. Claudio has this weird thing where he gets set and... As he's getting set, he does this little weird wiggle with the mitt, and yes. it's like he was a hitter. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I so, saw that, and I thought someone was going to say something about my dad when I saw it. I was like, <laughs> my dad is the first person I thought of when I saw that video. I'm like, what is he doing, <laughs> right? But obviously, like some of that is – that's why uh, you see uh, with Barstool, right, with Dallas Braden, and, and they always talk about analytics have a part in this game, but you also have to get feel – and yeah. heart into this game. If you're going to sit there and say, hey, what is statistically, and and, and, and I guess the, how can we do an equation of how should you hold the ball in your glove? How should you do your motion, right? You would never see anybody wagging their hands at the, like, <laughs> on the mound. You would never yeah. see that. But his body told him that that's what needed to happen for him to be successful. And then long behold, you, you eventually have a successful pitcher in the big leagues. So that's what we love to see. We like to see some form of uniqueness and uh, I'm glad he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, absolutely. I was watching that. I just like that is the weirdest thing. It looked like he grew up play, watching your dad play. He did the same thing on the mound that he did in the batter's box, and that's I think I think a lot of people forget that these guys who are the you know major league players were pitching and playing positions as kids. I actually right. think that's interesting right now where we're seeing with Otani, and we will get into golf in a second. But with uh, Otani, it's like. I feel like they're major league players who, if they did not have to make the switch to being just a full-time pitcher, a full-time position player, I think we'd see more Otani-type players at the major league level. Yeah, and you see that Jacob DeGrom, right, is athletic. Now, yeah. people always tell you, play different sports, try different positions, all these different things, right? And there's a reason that Jacob DeGrom is able to handle the bat. He was a shortstop. And a lot of people don't realize, like, he was taking Chris Sale deep in college. This was a really good baseball player, not just a pitcher. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He might go down as the greatest pitcher who ever touched a mound, but he is athletic. And that's the first part about Jacob DeGrom that made him elite is that he needed to master the craft of being an athlete. If you give him a bat, he knows what to do. If you give him a ground ball, he can do something. That's why Mariano Rivera was able to go run down fly balls is he was trying to master the craft of being an athlete and being a complete player. Now, he eventually took that out to the mound and dominated at his one aspect of the game. But you have to be able to uh, venture out and, and at least try to master these different areas. Because once you have a bunch of people specializing, that's where you start to see the swings and misses and the strikeouts, the same type of hitters just up and down every lineup. So I, I'm, I'm glad to see that certain players uh, decided to, to venture out. Absolutely, 100%. Now, there isn't really a natural way for me to swing this back to PGA Championship, but Phil Mickelson has just won the PGA Championship. Gary, why is this so special? I'll let you tell the whole story. 
I mean, the dude's 50 years old, right? So you would naturally think, okay, 50 years old, your vision's going to be at least deteriorating in some way, shape, or form. That's For the most part, that's why guys in golf haven't been able to play well, as they say that their vision is not what it was. You can't putt the same lines. You can't, your ball striking isn't as accurate. Well, Phil is just revamping all of that with modern medicine and, and working on his body, eating the right way. Um, he's, he's tried to figure out how he can have more distance. I mean, literally today, I can't remember if it was 13 or 14, he hit the longest drive of the entire tournament. That's, that's further than DeChambeau, who's literally out there to hit the ball far. And Phil's out there doing the same thing with a cut. Like the fact that that can happen in golf, it just goes to show that golf is here to stay for some of these players. Like these guys that you're seeing who are 35 and you're like, okay, they might be on the back half. No, they're not. It's like the, it's like Tom Brady winning in his forties. Yeah. Oh wait, now this guy, all of a sudden a 38 and 39 year old, it's not old anymore. So it's exciting for all of golf, not just Phil. I felt a little bad for Kepka and Ustaisen as I'm like, my dad said, as we're watching it just now, he's like, Kepka probably feels like he's Shooter McGavin right now. He's got there's this huge crowd right here. They're just oh, so yeah. raucous. They're for for Phil, and he's unfortunately had to be the bad guy in this particular instance. Yeah, and I saw Malinari it, when Tiger ended up winning the Masters. Nobody wanted Malinari to win. <laughs> like if you did, then you're not really a fan of Tiger Woods. You must not really like Tiger Woods. We all knew the stage, and everybody knew who the winner. Just felt like it needed to be. So when you're in that position, it's definitely has to be tough to play because you know nobody wants you to win. As much as I really do like Brooks, I love Brooks Kepka out there, but you're not Phil Mickelson to me. Not saying that you're not the player. You might you likely will be better. You'll win more majors. All that's fantastic. But just just how Phil plays, the personality. We're gonna see him on camera long after he's done playing golf. Like just the perfect character to win. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was great. What'd you think about seeing the big spectacle with the huge crowd? Well, I saw Phil almost, he basically got tackled out there, right? <laughs> I mean, dude, that shot was incredible. And I wanted to tackle the guy when I saw that. Um, a couple of buddies of mine text me and were like, he's got to be pissed. He's got to be pissed. I'm like, well, I mean, after that shot, he probably can't even feel the ground right now. Yeah. So it's just one of those being in the moment. I'm sure those guys who were jumping on him, obviously a dumb move, but they're in the moment. They just can't believe what they're seeing. I mean, he's, I can't remember who was the oldest before that. I can't remember if it was Jack um, at 46, 47 years old. People don't realize how unlikely this was. Yeah. Um, so I was just so happy for, for, for golf, really. And wasn't he unsure if he was even going to play this week at the start of the week? I heard that. I wasn't exactly sure. I can't confirm it. Yeah. But someone was saying, I'm pretty sure he wasn't about to play. So yeah. Like, wow. That's wild. <laughs> There was some story to that effect, and then I had heard also that there were 300 to 1 odds on him to win the Masters as well, or to win the PGA Championship. That I did know, because uh, somebody actually messaged me last night and said, hey, just quick advice from Clay Travis and, and Gary Sheffield Jr. They <laughs> added us in this tweet, what do, you, what do you advise? Because I can cash out now before the final round for $3,500, or I can stay in it for fifteen grand." And I said, if I were you, I would cash out just because you have to be happy with a $75 bet cashing out 3,500 bucks. It's yeah. not so much you don't think Phil will win. It's just that's the way math and gambling work. And long behold, he goes, well, I waited too long. And then here he is, $15,000 richer. <laughs> yeah. Good oh, that's great. I'm glad he got his money. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I tweeted out to the guy and said, congratulations. 
um, that's why you don't listen to me when it comes to golf. So um, <laughs> I was I was happy. All right. So we had quite the week in baseball this week, Gary, and you're covering baseball over there at OutKick, uh, as we mentioned. Big story this week really was very centered around the White Sox, Tony Larusa. And uh, I'd message you, I definitely have a different view on everything that occurred with Larusa. And maybe not, maybe not really, I guess what I should say is it's not really a view of how he handled it, more just the state of the White Sox, because I think a lot of people are making it more dire than it is. And so I think best place to start, we'll give a little recap of what happened. And then I actually have a voicemail message uh, from a Sox fan. I'll play that and then we can get into it. So why don't you give us a little recap of what happened this week? Well, I mean, it's obviously when you hit a home run, you know, in a three Oh count, when you're up 11 runs the opposing team is going to be upset. Um, I mean, you should be upset you're down 11 runs anyways. But my perspective is that, I mean, if you're if you're going to give up a home run and be upset about it in that given situation, I would like you to throw a pitcher out there. Because for me, yeah. if, a, if the team is going to throw out a position player, they're essentially telling you that these outs are not important to us. Um, no matter what happens on the field, we're just we're mailing it in. We give up on this game. And I feel that if you're going to give up on this game, you can't necessarily care that I'm going to get stats out of this because in the end, this is still a business and these players need to make as much money as possible. That is still a reality to me in this game. It's probably the most important reality as much as fans would like it to be winning, right? Um, these, these guys still have to make money for their families. They never know when it ends. And um, it doesn't surprise me that players want to put up as, as many numbers as possible, no matter who's pitching. So um, I can understand why some people would be upset, but I just I just wasn't upset at Mercedes, especially a young player who who wants to make some wants to make some dough. Absolutely. So here's what happened for those who missed it. And you probably didn't miss it, but I'll give you a little rundown. So uh, Williams Astadio, he came in as a position player to pitch. It was 15 to four. As you mentioned, three zero count and Mercedes swings. He hits a home run and. <laughs> Astadio was throwing straight Ephus pitches. It was like forty-seven yeah. on the gun. It was like, it was ridiculous. He was he was asking for someone to swing at it. Um, mm-hmm. Now the thing is, you know, unwritten rule of baseball: you don't swing at three-zero count. Um, it rarely happens. It's happened. I think John Heyman put out a tweet over the last 10, 15 years. It's happened twice out of over four hundred thirty times, something to that effect. Right. So. Then what ends up happening is Larusa, he says that he said he was yelling take take take, and then he says there will be a consequence that he'll have to endure. It won't happen again. And so there was a lot, of, a little bit of ambu- ambiguity over this quote. Was he bench? Was he gonna face some form of a consequence because he swung on three zero count? I don't think that's the case. I think it's because he, like, it's not about the unwritten rule. It's about not doing what the coach told him that he was supposed to do. And from my experience as a baseball player, the one thing I will say, and I've talked to a few players about this, I've never once been given a sign when I'm my team is up 11 or down 11. I have <laughs> never been given a sign by the third base coach. I've never once had the manager say, hey, I just this is what I need you to do on the field. The game is over. I mean, the guy's throwing 47 mile an hour EFIS pitches, and the idea that a coach was giving a sign saying, hey, you need to take this 47 mile an hour EFIS pitch, 
that to me, I find it very hard to believe. What I believe happened was that Tony LaRusso actually thought, I don't want to associate with this type of behavior. He maybe disagreed that he ultimately swung on his own. And and I think that Tony wanted to differentiate the the decision that actually ended up materializing on the field. I think he just wanted his players to behave as though that it was him. And that's the way that managers always, that's the way it's always gone, right? They, they want you to embody their personality into the game and bring that onto the field. So while I, I disagree with ultimately what his message is, I definitely disagree that he told that he's like, yeah, take, take, take. How are you that engaged in an 11 run game <laughs> where a position, there's yeah. no way. So like, to me, that was silly. And I think that that was, I, I don't know what, what they're going to confirm. I'm sure there's no way to know whether or not he gave the take sign, but I don't buy it. Okay, I like it. And then, of course, really what we had happen after this is we had the Lance Lynn quote. And when, I guess I'll just sum this up real quick. This is, I think, where I get lost on this is there was so much where David Sampson wrote a piece that Tony LaRusso might get fired as a first place manager in the middle right. of May. And then there was, uh, there was another, Oh, New York, New York post ran a story that said white Sox players are revolting under Tony LaRusso's watch. And I said, okay, well, I read the story. Where's the evidence. It's like, well, Tim Anderson had a little comment on Instagram. They were supporting Mercedes. And then there was the Lynn quote, the Giolito quote, but none of that, I don't think there's any evidence there that these guys are like tuning him out. They're revolting against him. Now, obviously the Sox didn't play well this weekend and we'll see what, where we go from here. But I think up to this point, it's actually gone quite well in Chicago. Yeah. You're going to have to see some losing baseball because that's when you really find out if you have the right manager, right? If you start losing games, what happens if the Chicago White Sox lose, if they go on that little Dodger stretch, Right. If they if they lose 11 of 12, now what and who, who do they look at as the problem? And that's that's where the manager having the right guy there, because right now everyone's saying, well, the White Sox were winning baseball games. So whatever he's doing is working. And they are right about that. There are some aspects of Tony LaRusso's style that's directly affecting the way the White Sox are winning. And and I know that there's some uh, you see like White Sox, Dave with Barstool, he's mentioned like they've, they've he's lost us three or four games in the last week. And while that might be true. He's also helped them win a lot of games in the, in the past here because his style offensively is to put the ball in play and they've embodied that and yeah. that's really helped them. So, um, and I, sh- and I'm never going to sit here and say, well, one decision and one thing he said in the media should get him fired, but I'm going to have to see how this materializes when they start losing, because over the course of a season, you will start losing and this is baseball, no matter what, how good you are, you're going to have a stretch where you lose uh, six of eight, you lose 10 of not, you know, 10 of 11, that's going to happen. Yeah. Who does Tim Anderson look at? Who does Lance Lynn look at as the problem? If they see themselves as the problem, then LaRusso is the right guy for the job. But if they start making excuses and they start getting more chippy with LaRusso publicly, then you know you have a bigger issue at hand. Yeah, I, I think that's where we find our agreement is we're both kind of waiting for the evidence to come out before kind right. of making our assumption and where we think this thing's going to go and they are going to struggle at some point and this may be the start of it i do think that kind of the circus that occurred and unfolded over the past week that larusa really brought on himself in a lot of ways he didn't have right. to say that to the press he could no. take exception to what happened behind closed doors at joe girardi last week he had an issue with Didi, 
and the press tried to dig and he, he basically just said, get out of here, get lost. I'm mm-hmm. not telling you. That's how Tony should have handled it. He created that mess and we'll see how they come out of this. Um, but it's going to be interesting. So I got, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. And then I'm going to play this voicemail message. Cause I've been teasing it for a while. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it's if, if you're looking for a free agent to want to sign in a certain place and that certain manager is public, right? That person is public about any type of dispute, any type of disagreement, because managers disagree with players all the time. This happens all the time. High school level, college baseball, which I played a lot of, there's disagreements every day. Whoever, who you bring in out the pen. I mean, you saw it. I can't remember if it was the last year or the year before where JT Realmuto saw that this a certain player was coming out the bullpen and he was disgusted with it, right? And, and you roll your eyes. Yeah. Well, when that's when things like that happen, that needs to be discussed in private. Now, that's very important. But what Tony Larusa did was he broke the biggest rule in baseball is you went against your players, which no matter which side of this you're on, if, if you care about unwritten rules or not, you cannot be against your players no matter what. And that's why Lou Pinella was was the most sought after manager really of all time, because his players knew even if I went out there and made a fool of myself, he's going to back me even if he disagrees. And that's why he was so honorable as a man. And you obviously see the results. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So here's what I got. This is a voicemail message from a listener who also lived on my floor and played some college baseball. Justin Gustafson, big White Sox fan. Here's what he's got to say. Jack Vito, I think you have to look at it like this. There is an ultimate like fight going on between the old regime of baseball and the new regime of baseball, the fun rules. It's a mixture of both. The dude is an old-school baseball guy, but has younger guys on the staff that connect with his players. It doesn't really matter if you connect with your players. As Steve Stone said, you know, everybody rallied behind Lucas Giolito. They're playing for one another. There are people in every single club that love their boss. There are people in clubs that hate their boss and have respect for him and don't have respect for him. It doesn't matter. Tony La Russa is the best manager alive. And he could get upset. He did not get upset at the 3-0 count. He got upset that Yerman Mercedes missed a sign. You know, and you could tell which guys are baseball guys and which guys aren't by based off of that. And they're just looking for bull to talk about the White Sox. How about let's talk about no hitters on the Cleveland Indians just absolutely destroying the Minnesota Twins, which they're a complete joke of a franchise. Like, they're the most pasty. If you could think of a pasty person, that's what the Minnesota Twins are. They're just boring, pasty people, and it's just embarrassing that they even have a club. Sorry for swearing. I know it's a PG chat between you and I, but they're a joke. Let's talk about the White Sox just destroying people instead of the drama with Tony LaRusso. We also have to talk about the White Sox being the best team in baseball with more injuries than the Dodgers. They're a better team than the Dodgers, and they're missing bigger pieces than the Dodgers. Think about that. We don't even have Adam Engel back. He hasn't even played a game. And we have our entire starting outfield is out. O-U-T, out. And they're, in my opinion, a top three outfield with Adam Engel, Aloy Jimenez, and Luis Robert. Like, overall. Like, and they're out. We got 
you know, Jose Abreu battling in and out of injury. Nick Madrigal has been out. Tim Anderson has been out, etc. We don't even have our team at full strength, and we're the best team in baseball. And people don't want to talk about it because they think the White Sox are boring because they're a smaller market team next to the Cubs. There you go. And by the way, not to just harp on the Cubs, but you have a players coach there. How are they doing? How well are they doing? Are we going to be able to name a player on the Cubs after the All-Star break? Again, it's all about perspective. It's all about the players you put on the field. They don't have to like Tony La Russa. I don't, I don't like some of my bosses. It doesn't matter, you know. But he put it right against Lance Lynn. He has a locker. I have an office. I'm going to make the decisions. It is what it is. You're going to have to deal with it if you're a player. All right, what do you think? And by the way, I'm going to have to bleep some of that out. My apologies. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the way I think about it. He, he was talking about how you don't have to like your boss. That is factually incorrect. Now, the reason I say that is because if you look at any business landscape in the history, this is not athletics. This is just if whether you, you, you're working as you're a writer, you're in TV, does not matter. Whoever is above you, if you do not respect the authority above your head, you will leave and put in your two weeks the moment you get a chance. The moment that players and and any staff member has the opportunity to show you disloyalty, they will do it every single time to the people they don't respect, no matter what. You saw it with Shaq and Kobe. Shaq and Kobe couldn't stand playing with one another, right? They, They eventually said that it was ridiculous that they couldn't get along. But what did you see, right? They were winning. Oh, we're fine. We can get along. We can play and, and we can intertwine. Or like, you know, we're fine. We win again. Then they three-peat. Then they lose. What happens? The off-season of them losing, they point the finger at one another. Shaquille O'Neal is traded to the Miami Heat. Now, we're talking about two of the greatest basketball players. Like These are top 10, top, you know, top, 10, top 5 basketball players of all time. This is not Tony La Russa and, and a couple guys off the Chicago White Sox. These players and managers, they can easily turn their backs on one another just like that very quickly. That's why no matter what level you're on and what business you're in, if you don't have that respect and you don't feel backed by the people above you, the second you get a chance and and things are actually going hard, if a certain business is going down the drain, they're going to be pointing fingers of who's, who's to blame, who's to blame. But when your manager backs you, you'll take the blame. And that's what you want from your players, no matter who's on the field. So, um, while I appreciate, obviously, his perspective, and that's fine. I mean, that's that's sports. We all have different perspectives. Yeah. But um, but for me, even at the college level, all of the coaches I didn't end up liking, there was always a bad breakup at the end between certain players, the the whole the unit of the team. We hardly ever won the 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 big picture, the big prize when you don't respect the guy above you. So um, I think it's very important. I still want to see if Larusa can turn this around because I believe he can. I just think that he has to make some adjustments. So do you think that, this is an interesting topic, do you think that you can have a boss that you, I mean, will it work if you respect your boss even if you don't like him? Is it the respect thing or do you have to have them to like you too? You have to feel that they back you. It's okay. not so much uh, an understanding of, because you're, you're never going to work and agree with everybody above you. That's just not the way it works. You're drafted into certain programs, you're put there, um, you know, sometimes without your choice, like just no choice whatsoever. Um, it, but if somebody is going to have respect for you, they're going to defend you regardless if, if you disagree. And remember, I talked about Bobby Cox. Bobby Cox 
He, he's been ejected from over 162 <laughs> baseball games. That's a full season of baseball games. Do you really think that Bobby Cox, at all of those ejections actually thought that he was arguing the right call? No. But half the time he's going to say, I care more about my player than I care about you as an umpire. And that's what it's about. So I hope that Larusa can maintain some of that old school mentality because this team does need that. They do. Baseball needs more of a Tony Larusa mindset, but it can't be all the way Tony Larusa, which is why it's that's that's why there's such a disconnect there. Yeah, I think in terms of baseball, I was saying this to someone the other day. I'm a baseball moderate where I want to have the Larusas in the sport. I want to have the Tatis juniors in the sport too. I think having a blend of old school and new school. I just I think that's the best product in my opinion. Yeah, and you're seeing you see more balls put in play. Yeah. Obviously with the velocity, it's it's become very difficult to put the ball in play. I understand that just watching it. I mean, I when I was playing in college, guys who threw with more velocity, more movement, it was hard. To, it's 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 difficult to put the ball in play. And and everyone just says just spray the ball the other way, spray the ball the other way. I'm like, guys, they are literally finding ways to build rosters of guys who can hit the ball over the fence to to disrupt these shifts because velocity it's become too hard to string hits together so then once you create an entire lineup of, of roof net odors and joey gallo style hitters how are you going to ask them all of a sudden to just change well an old school mentality of larusa finding a little mix there you start to bring in players like tim anderson right and not saying they brought him in after but those tim anderson style hitters and the nick magicals right those guys are really good for baseball because they provide some type of blend. And that's why Larusa, just his presence alone allows those guys to be on the roster and be, and be empowered to say, I trust you to be my three hitter, even though you don't hit 40 home runs because yeah. I find that you're my best hitter. That's something a lot of teams aren't doing. So I hope that Larusa can look at this as a learning experience as I, even though he's almost 80 years old, but <laughs> I, I hope that he can look at this and go, I missed the mark here. Like I just didn't back my player. And, and I can be honest about that. I, I wish that he could come out in public and say, while I disagree with what uh, Mercedes did, uh, you, you know what I mean? So Yerman Mercedes, whatever he did, I disagree, but ultimately I back him and you can't come out and say that, Hey, they handled this the right way. You cannot do that. To come out here and say, I was fine with it, the, that they hit him. You can't do that. No matter what it is that Yerman Mercedes did, I mean, this dude could steal your dog. I don't care. <laughs> you don't say that it's okay for one of your players to get pegged with a baseball. It's dangerous. I mean, it could hit you in the hand. It could end your season. Obvious reasons. Why not? Yeah, and I guess, yeah, I think that's a good place to wrap up on this conversation. We'll see where it goes. We see what happens. They just got swept by the Yankees. Heck of a game on Friday night. Heck of a game today, too. Both those games yeah. are great games. And that's also where I, I don't think that we have any evidence that the wheels are coming off this White Sox thing because uh, I heard so much of that this past week just in terms of like, oh, man, they're such a dysfunctional mess and the teams in first place had the best record in baseball just a few days ago, um, at least on the AL side. Yeah, the Yankees get the big sweep in New York. Uh, I'm sure you're pumped about that. I am. And yeah, we're going to see on the White Sox because I, I know your friend was saying that they're a little small, small market compared to the Cubs. The White Sox are not small market whatsoever. They are still Chicago. And, and he knows that better than just about everybody <laughs> as a White Sox fan. They're still Chicago, just like the Mets are still in New York. If they're winning or if they're losing badly, people are talking about those teams. So um, I'm going to be interested to see if they if this actually this little mini losing streak turns into something much bigger, because yeah. that's when you'll finally find out 
what that heartbeat's like in that locker room. Well, great uh, series coming up here tomorrow. We have the White Sox and the Cardinals. So the big-time La Russa series right there. I'm, I'm excited for that. That's going to be fun. I hope to see a fight. <laughs> we'll love to see it. So you mentioned a little bit of what we saw this past week uh, in terms of – actually, I want to go back to one more thing on the White Sox-related – how about the Twins? The Twins are awful. I mean, this is, this Twins team was supposed to, a lot of people picked them not only to win the AL Central, but to win the American League. And Rocco Baldelli goes out there. They throw at Mercedes. Then he gets ejected. It felt like he was really in desperation mode, trying to do anything and everything he could to try to fire up this dead corpse of a team. Yeah. Uh, what, was, what was your thoughts on all everything of the Twins in terms of recent? Well, first of all, I thought it was ridiculous that he came out the dugout and was like, what, what? Like, <laughs> you're going to throw out my guy? What do you mean, what? You just came out. You were down 11 runs. You're doing a terrible job as manager. Your offense is not, you're not scoring runs. You guys are not fielding the baseball. You're not throwing the baseball. You guys are not pitching well. The bullpen's not pitching well. Everything about the team is bad, right? So far, the team is bad. So when you come out down 11, and you have a guy lollipopping 47 mile hour EFIS pitches, and then you're going to come out and hit a rookie for the other team who just waxed you. You look like a fool. S- simply put, you look foolish, and you cannot move around and, and, and cause up a storm and, and cause fights if you're not good at baseball. Sorry. <laughs> the, he obviously, like, the Twins have a lot of talent. I expect them to be much better, and I still expect them to get much better as the season goes on. But to see the way that they're currently playing and that they're causing a stir, it's it's to me it is ludicrous. So I hope to I hope that they kind of just take a back seat and realize like, look, we're gonna have to win some baseball games before we're doing any of this nonsense. I don't think they're gonna win too many this year. That team is really bad. They're I believe they're 0-7 in extra inning games, which is maybe a little bit of bad luck there, but I mean, that team, such a big disappointment. I think what was interesting to me was the way that the White Sox were talked about this week is how we should be talking about the Minnesota Twins. How did this become a White Sox story? <laughs> I mean, that's that's part of like how this whole thing just got so wild and crazy. But the Twins were able to skate by, and really, I, did, I felt like I didn't hear a whole lot of criticism on how bad this Twins team is. Well, I think the reason why is because... Um... It's Minnesota. Yeah, that's true. There's your answer. And, yeah. and your buddy said that we might be a little small market. No. Minnesota <laughs> is small. No one gives a rip about Minnesota. You know what happens when the Minnesota Twins win 98 games and they're matched up with the Yankees? Everybody predicts a sweep. It happens every time. And you know what social media does in their entire platform? Really, every Twins writer was tweeting to me two years ago when the Yankees destroyed the Twins. They tweeted to me and were like, you're sleeping on us. Oh, you're, you know, you're this, you're that, right? All the name calling, blocking me, saying, I don't know baseball. Dad knows baseball. I don't know baseball, right? And sure enough, they get absolutely destroyed. But the reason that no one really cares about Twins baseball, it's literally Minnesota. That's what it is. So <laughs> yeah. the Chicago White Sox, they actually have a lot going for them. They have a great players, great young players. Uh, they've, they've got a lot going. Um, some young arms, power arms um, that you see with Kopech in the bullpen. I love that. He's like a little bridge guy like Urias. Perfect. And then you have the interesting hired manager. They just got so many interesting things. And then also the biggest thing is they're actually winning baseball games. 
So um, I'm just happy to see that the conversation, I honestly don't want the twins to be talked about. If you're losing, let's just keep kick them in the yeah. dirt and just, you know, keep it moving. Let's talk about the White Sox for sure. Yeah. And I think I'm also, the White Sox are not a small market team. The thing is, they feel like they're the little brother in this city because it is very, even when they've been playing great, yeah. they still are taking a backseat to the Cubs. And we'll see. It's fair to say. I think that's going to change, though, because it's becoming clearer and clearer that this Cubs team, which is playing right now in Sunday Night Baseball, Cubs are probably going to be selling off parts of the deadline. Uh, right. I wrote a piece last year, and it was titled that the White Sox are now the best team in Chicago. And it's going to take a little bit for them to gain the, that momentum and gain that uh, hype and buzz around them that they had back in 05. But it'll eventually come because the Bears are probably not going to be very good this year. The Blackhawks are in a rebuild. The Bulls stink. The Cubs are going to be trading guys away. So it's going to come for the Sox. It just hasn't. They haven't gotten the attention in this city that they should be getting. Yeah, it's about sustained winning. If the Chicago yeah. White Sox go out there and make a deep World Series run, and let's just say they lose in the they lose in the ALCS or they lose in the World Series, which I think that they could definitely do. I believe yeah. they can win the World Series. This is a great team. Now, if they go do that, then you show up again next year. It's much like the Astros, right? The Astros yeah. have built up quite the fan base because they're repeat winners. They won in seventeen. They were great in eighteen. They're great. They're they're great every year. And so eventually, fans say. Well, why would we care so much about the Cubs when the last time they did something for us was five years ago and they haven't done something since? That is important when people are trying to figure out who they want to support, especially when they're local in Chicago. So I would not be surprised if five or six years down the road, if the White Sox can come, they can really just compound some winning here. And then once you do that, people say, that's something I want to support. And the White Sox become the talk of the town. Yeah, and one last thing. I, we keep saying that we're done on the Sox, but there's so much here. It's so good. Oh, yeah. I think that with Larusa, I couldn't understand why they managed, why they picked him. Not because a lot of people were saying, well, he's he's too outdated. He can't hack it. He's, uh, he's too old. He's not going to connect with these guys. And I guess we'll see. We'll see what happens. But the main thing for me was, like, I don't know why you'd bring in a guy who's probably going to manage – it's hard to manage imagine him managing more than three years right and this is a core that you're looking at that you're talking about like five six seven years down the road this team should still be competing for world series five years from now and you want to bring in a manager that's going to be there for the long haul tony la Russa, it feels like he makes more sense in a situation where the team has been around for a long time and they just need to get over the hump and they're towards the end of that window whereas like that the window's Astros just starting with bake with dusty baker yeah that felt right that yeah. to me that felt right um it did man i i agree with you I, I definitely agree with you this is a young team that they could be good for the next six or seven years teams really haven't shown that especially in baseball to be good for a decade but i like the thought process of hiring someone that you can really grow into but i do think the white Sox are so win now that yeah. that's how baseball is being managed it's like what can we do this season who's the best hire possible to win in 2021 and if we can win in 2021 i believe that these front offices believe that it's better for you in 2022 if you just find a way to win this year and that's yeah. how this that's all how this stuff works and you can't necessarily hire someone and be like yeah he'll figure out his stuff managing wise by 2022 and 23 we'll all grow together 
because you you might overstay your welcome and, and get so patient with it that you lose, you have a letdown year, then you have a couple injuries here. And then before you know it, you let some great manager in the past who maybe had a shorter window, just you let them go so you could try to grow. I, I, I like what you're saying because I said the same thing at the beginning. I just, I like their little short-term mindset where they are like, yeah. 2021 is all that matters and I'm good with that. Yeah. Okay, cool. I'm glad we're on the same page for most of this. I thought we were going to be disagreeing more. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. I just have a, a few variances. I mean, I, I always, I flip-flop my opinion all the time because yeah. there's some things I just think are not going to work at all. And then sometimes they, they work the other way It's sports and everything's so fluid in this game. You just never know. All right. So, so much to get to from the rest of the sport. Uh, you had mentioned about the contact hitting. Now, we have now had three teams be no-hit twice. Seattle, can you get them all? Do you know all three? Um, it was Seattle-Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and, and what was the other team? Texas. Texas, yeah. Oh, I mean, I should know that. It's the yeah. Yankees. So there you go. Um, <laughs> it, when you look at the lineups, though, that are being no-hit, it's not a surprise. You yeah. can look at the batting averages and be like, good grief. I mean, these guys, <laughs> they're hitting... They're hitting one. There's a lot of guys hitting 150, and there's no shade being thrown at all. It's hard to hit in the big leagues, no question. But 150. If you throw 150 hitters up there, three at least three or four of them, odds are they get a hit 15% of the time. And these are 15% of the time they get a hit against any pitcher, not just the good ones. Yeah. So the good, the good <laughs> pitchers, they barely ever get a hit. So it's not surprising. We are going to see plenty more this season. As um, I, I, I don't want to say as disappointing as that is because it's still a great accomplishment. Um, I don't want to take anything away from these pitchers, but to have no hits in a game, it shouldn't happen that often. And it kind of shows you like we want to, we have to find a way to make an adjustment as a league because this is an entertainment industry. Yeah. If you're not entertaining people, and as much as everybody likes to say they like pitchers' duels, they don't. They <laughs> like to see great pitchers have yeah. pitchers' duels. They don't like to see some random guy where they because how many people really thought that Corey Kluber was going to go out there and throw a new hitter this year? I would say you're kidding me, right? So it's like that's not the level of pitcher where this should be happening. That should be reserved for the Garrett Coles, the Justin Verlanders, like certified first ballot Hall of Famers. So um, I'm I'm hoping that that something can happen just as an overhaul where we can see more of a shift. I don't know if the mound needs to be moved up. Whatever that logistical change needs to be, more contact needs to be made because it's not so much home runs that's entertaining. It is action. Ground balls, balls in the gap, double cuts, just seeing a play at the plate, all or takeout slides and double play balls. Like These things are more fun to watch. So I'm hoping that we see something. I think we will. And I think it's going to start with we've put so much of a premium on launch angle and home runs over the last five years. And I think we're eventually going to swing back the other way. Maybe not Agreed. to the same degree that we once did, but I think it's going to, there's going to be some team that wins a world series and they don't have a guy who hits 40 home runs on the team, or maybe they have one big power bat. They're still going to have a couple power bats, but the whole team is going to be guys who just grind it out. It's going to be a team full of Tommy Lastella's. And right. then the whole league is going to copy that. And it's going to start then with the players that are drafted. Dan O'Dowd was talking about this recently on uh, MLB Now. And he's saying, like, eventually people are going to start drafting the contact bats who can generate power. They're going to draft right. pitchers 
who have great control that are going to up their velocity with their pitching coaches. That's a great point. And you saw it in the NBA, right? Everyone's yeah. saying the big man is dead. The big man is gone. Nobody wants to go into the post. Twos are, are less than three. We're not doing that anymore. And then what did you see last year? You saw Anthony Davis and LeBron James doing damage in the post. And they're like, well, wait a minute. What can we do to stop that? Because they're so far one direction. We don't even have an answer for that. We, we've been trying to figure out how to master this other craft. And it turns out that they, they went and dominated in, a, in another category. And we couldn't answer them. So then now the very next year, you start seeing the Philadelphia 76ers say, instead of Ben Simmons handling the ball in the fourth quarter, get the ball down low to Joel Embiid. And then you see the MVP race. And all of a sudden, he's one of the best players in the NBA. Then you see Jokic with the Denver Nuggets. Now he's an MVP. So now you're starting to see a shift of the big man. I said the big man is back. It's really just philosophy constantly doing a tug of war. And this, I think that's just the way sports goes. It's like yeah. there's you get so overblown on one side of the fence everybody's trying to just hit the ball in the air and then eventually we're going to see a bunch of dudes just getting marco scuderos and, and dj lemayhews in a lineup and slapping balls the other way and you see the astros doing it right they just get hits all day long and it's working so i hope that you're right that they're that they are going to find ways to build rosters around more contact and try to try to beat them at a game they're not even focused on because i think it'll work i think it will and i think one good thing for baseball is while they have tweaked some things, they haven't changed the rules in a dramatic fashion because like in basketball and football, we're, it seems like we're never going to go back to those days where defense really won the championships to the same degree as we once right. did because the rules have changed. It's much faster pace, more scoring, and I miss seeing some of that. I miss seeing more of a balance between offense and defense but in baseball we haven't really messed with that in that regard so you could win with a great pitching staff you could win with a great lineup and yeah i think some team's gonna win with contact hitting soon enough it's just so hard because baseball got aesthetically worse because we got smarter and that's the same with basketball the basketball players michael jordan didn't know that it was better for him to just shoot 10 threes a game he had no idea not saying he's a dummy He's not, but we don't, as, as the front offices are supposed to figure out the best ways to win a championship. That's their job. Now, baseball teams are doing the same thing. What can we do to win a world series? Well, they realize, well, if you hit home runs and we do, we score as many runs as possible, that's the best way to do it. And how do we do that? We had a bunch of home runs. And so once you see that, then teams are like, well, what can we do to combat this? Well, we can kick up velocity, throw the ball up in the zone and we can shift. And so now baseball doesn't look remotely similar despite the rules not changing i mean you literally go to a game and you see the shortstop matt you'll have matt chapman who's a third baseman playing in center field i'm like i'm not here to say the shift needs to be because i i've always said i can't stand the shift i just wish we didn't know about it yeah. if that makes sense it, it's yeah. just so it's just a it's a sore on the game <laughs> i'm not trying to watch matt chapman play behind second base and then have bryce harper who people will say oh he's he's he was hitting 310 and he's hitting 280 now what happened well, Bryce Harper's pounding balls into right field, and everyone's like, well, why can't you just spray the ball the other way? Because he just played 25 years of baseball one way, and then yeah. all of a sudden you ask him to just do a different trick. That's not how baseball was played. Babe Ruth was never asked to do this. Tony Gwynn was never asked to do this. So it's just become so hard to to play this game just because we've gotten so smart, and, and I hope that um, eventually the only I, I would actually say I would agree with you the only way that this is going to change is by getting different guys they getting different guys in the locker room the DJ LeMahieu's where yeah 
you don't have to ask them to do certain things because it is who they are. Yeah, 100%. So six no-hitters this year. Spencer Turnbull throws one against the Mariners. Corey Kluber throws one against the Rangers on back-to-back nights. Uh, It's just like we get to Thursday. It's like, who's going to throw a no-hitter tonight? Uh, I do think the problem is we love the no-hitter. It's great TV. There's nothing like it in any sport. I have the MLB.TV, so I hear no-hitters going. I always flip over. I want to see it. But I, I do think the problem that you had mentioned is when we're getting this many, it does diminish the value of the no-hitter. It becomes less special if more guys are doing it. Yeah, we're just desensitized. We don't, yeah. don't want to say that it's easy because it's not. If it was easy, that I would just go throw a no-hitter right now. But <laughs> when you see something once or twice in an entire season of baseball, maybe you see it not even once a season. You see it, and then the following season, you see it one time. When that happens, you go, wow, now that's special because we're, we're not seeing it, right? There's some type of rarity there. But if, if everyone, if, if you're seeing 10 or 11 or 12 people getting it done a season, then you're like, okay, that's a great accomplishment. It is. But we can look around the room and say, well, that's got, that guy's got one. That guy's got one. And we did the same thing with Nolan Ryan. We're able to compare careers and go, why was he able to throw seven no hitters or whatever it was? Yeah. Well, that goes to show you it's a it's a very it's a solid way to say look at his greatness. But now we have like no real way to judge these players because they're accomplishing the, these ridiculous numbers that analytics and shifts and all this stuff are just it's like just taking over the game. So um, yeah, again, I don't want to diminish what they're doing, but I am desensitized. I definitely am. Yeah, and so I think it's funny. We've had six nine-inning no-hitters and a Bumgarner. I'm just going to call it a Bumgarner now. If you throw a seven-inning no-hitter, it's a Bumgarner. Six no-hitters and the nine innings, and those came against the same three teams. So typically we talk about which team has the most number of games where they don't score a run or they only score one run. This year it's going to be a race to see which team has the least amount, most amount of games without a hit. (laughs) That's going to be the Mariners. (laughs) <laughs> That's got to be. I've watched the, my roommate's a Mariners fan. We have a lot of Mariners baseball on. That offense is so bad. They, it is so bad. And if we don't recognize, today we looked at the lineup, and we didn't recognize three or four names. If three or four guys are in a lineup and avid fans of that team don't know who's in there, something is wrong. And, and I know that there's injuries, maybe young guys playing. You have that going a lot. Like, there's a lot of baseball teams, even like, people who are watching a lot of ball MLB TV, they have it on at work every day. You're still looking at these lineups like going, who the heck is this guy? Right. And it's just weird. Like it's just the baseball is in such a weird spot. And there's some, there's some great talent out there. You see like the Tatis juniors, like a lot of these great players, but then you'll see some of these teams. I'm like, what are they doing? Right. Like, it's just, I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say the Mariners are going to slide in right at first place in no hitters. Today. I think they're, they've got, I'm going to say they have two more in them. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I was actually thinking probably Texas because Texas, I feel like, is a team that I I feel like I'm more, I know more about these Mariners guys because there's so many young guys on that team that, and maybe some of them are hurt right now, but with Kyle Lewis and Kalinich, and then you've got. Um, and I know a lot of people say Kelenic, but my friend's Serbian or Croatian, he says it's always it's always with an itch at the end. That's all the NBA players, Stojakovic. That's true. 
eventually people are going to say Kellenich. That's my call on this, by the way. But uh, Dylan Moore, uh, Evan White, uh, Kyle Lewis, as I mentioned, who's not having a very good year. Um, they have Austin Nola. I mean, like their guys in that lineup, I feel like I'm pretty familiar with. Um, a lot of young guys, J.P. Crawford. Whereas with Texas, I, I feel like I have the same level of unfamiliarity with the Texas team. In Texas and Seattle, might you might see Hanniger moved. You could see yeah. Joey Gallo moved Seager. in a trade. Yeah, so these these guys, some of these players could, could be moved on from. Now that affects the, the no-hitter race for sure. I mean, if, <laughs> if Kyle Seager is not in there, uh, that's a bad lineup. <laughs> it's just it's just what it is so they've got some some great players just sprinkled in there but if if the trade market thins that out you could see two no hitters either for texas or seattle so gary we had seven sweeps this weekend i don't know if you're aware of that really because i mean normally because i'm a i'm a gambler uh, <laughs> somewhat and we always bet against the sweep so that's bad news <laughs> yeah bad news the, the final game of a sweep uh, my roommate always says to bet against that. He's like, you always fade against the, the sweep. So a lot of gamblers lost some money this week. Oh, tell you that. yikes. Okay. Yeah. So we had seven sweeps. I'll run through these, uh, what we had this weekend. The Washington Nationals swept the Baltimore Orioles uh, at home. We had the Yankees sweeping the White Sox, as we mentioned. Tampa Bay Rays sweep the Toronto Blue Jays and really – some great games in that series. Today they were down uh, in, it was 4-2 in the ninth inning, and they ended up winning that game with uh, what Travis Travis Burgeon walked three straight guys with the bases loaded to lose that game, 6-4 to four Tampa. We had the 12-inning thriller on Friday night that the Rays won 9-7. Tampa's now won 10 straight. Yeah, and what you can see from Major League Baseball is that discipline at the plate is is taking over they i know they've talked a lot about how pitchers are throwing strikes less this season than they've ever thrown and that that goes to show you that the the randy Arena, like just the guys who have ability to to lay off certain pitches and and do all those things where the dj lemayhews it's really important and you're going to start to see um i i hope that feel like philosophically those contact driven teams they can actually just take over baseball. Yeah. That's what I'm rooting for, really. I think it'd be good for the game just to see in, in all these baseball races, if you can see uh, these teams philosophically taking over, because you saw with the Giants, right? They In 2012, 14, and 16, yeah. I believe, I can't remember what it was, but when they went out and dominated with pitching and, and just coming out lefty, lefty reliever, lefty reliever, every other team wanted to do the same thing. The Yankees started doing the same thing. So I'm hoping that that happens, and I'm surprised the Blue Jays went out there and got swept. I, I think the Toronto Blue Jays are a great team, and Vladdy Jr. is just, he's a lot better than I thought he'd be. This guy is just, this guy's a freak. That ball he hit off Kopech, or no, it wasn't Kopech. Who, it was uh, Glasnow. The ball yeah. he hit off Glasnow shouldn't even be legal. It's <laughs> unbelievable. So they're exciting to watch. Obviously, I'm sorry to watch them get swept. Not really, since I'm a Yankees fan, but <laughs> I anticipate that they're going to be right there at the end. Yeah, that division's going to be real tough. The Rays, as you mentioned, though, what's so interesting about them is they're not a big-time power team. 
yet right. they're leading the league in strikeouts per game offensively. They strike out really? more than any other team. Yeah, I know. I heard that number the other day. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it because they have a no. lot of guys who put the ball in play, yet they strike out a good amount. It's weird. Yeah, Zunino, I know, strikes out. That is surprising. I would not surprise that. I, I know they have a lot of guys in that lineup. Um, I think G-Man Choi was hurt for the majority of yeah. the season, so that doesn't help. He's one of their best bat-to-ball. He might be their best bat-to-ball guy in their whole lineup, and that includes Arosa Reina. So it goes to show you the talent that that kid's got, but that surprises me. I would not have expected that. I know. It's shocking, and they just traded Willie Adamas a couple, couple days ago. That's another story with the Rays. I saw something the other day that they've traded. They've made 15 trades already this year. Uh, with their 26-man roster, they're always wheeling and dealing. Uh, Yoshi Sutugo was also shipped over the Dodgers recently. I was watching the Dodgers game last night. It's like, he's on the Dodgers now? What's going on with that? But uh, anyway, they, they trade Willie Adamas, and I think I think we're going to see Wander pretty soon here, Gary. I'm pretty excited. I thought we were going to get him earlier this week. Yeah. I tweeted out, I'm like, where the heck is this guy? Because I yeah. know... Uh, is he the number one prospect in baseball? He is. Yeah, and so I'm expecting so I'm expecting to see some talent there, and he's going to help with the strikeouts. I know maybe not early. <laughs> I never expect anybody yeah. to have like a little Puig breakout, but eventually that talent's going to shine. And the Rays, the Rays, Blue Jays, and the Yankees—they're expected to be right there. So when you have a young, talented guy who's you know you never know what kind of moments that he's going to be up for. I'm ready to watch him play. And hopefully he doesn't destroy my my Yankees season, but I want to see him. I want to see him succeed. I think he could have a Tatis like impact on that team this year, and that's pretty amazing to say for a team that went to the World Series a year ago. Yeah, you know, you just never you never know with these prospects because it, one moment the Yankees had Jesus Montero, and and everyone thought he was going to be the next Yogi Berra, and everyone's he's just going to be the next coming of Joe Maurer. And he turns into nothing. So Wander Franco could be nothing, but he also could be a, a future Hall of Famer. And I hope to see uh, the latter. Absolutely. So we mentioned these sweeps. We had a few more. Uh, the Rangers swept the Astros. How about that? That was pretty shocking because the Astros just swept them. They took four last weekend, and now the Rangers take three back. And that was, those were some big games last weekend for them to get back into the top of the AL West. Um, they're still only a game and a half out, but uh, I, I don't know what to make of this Astros team, Gary. I would expect the Astros still to win the AOS. I just would, because simply put, they score runs. They will score runs. It doesn't matter if it's cold. It doesn't matter if it's hot. And some of these teams can get cold fast. You, I mean, you see Matt Chapman's not having a great offensive season. There's some guys that are kind of disappeared in that Oakland lineup. They've won a lot of close games. Like the the Ash, the A's have just won a lot of close baseball games. Now part of that is because they're built to do that. That's what they've always done. But it would not surprise me. Houston gets healthy and and they go out there and win fourteen of fifteen and say, hey, remember the A's that? And then now we're talking about Matt Chapman being traded. That's kind of how things have gone over the years. And I won't expect something different until I see it. I've, I'm still in on the A's. They've been playing some great baseball lately. They did it again, two or three from the Angels this weekend. They've been hot lately. Uh, and I don't think I've seen really any weak spots with that team, but I do think the Astros are better than I expected them to be this year. I had them missing the playoffs entirely. 
now I think they're going to be in the the hunt for the long haul. The big key that I see with that team is how good their young pitching rotation has been. Those guys have all stepped in very nicely this year. They always like some of these teams, right? They they just always yeah. manage to have these young players. I'm like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> I mean, what? Like, there's the the Astros was bringing some lefty. Can't remember his name, but he just comes out there and he's just shoving in the postseason. I think it was Vasquez or something, yeah. something like that. I'm like, Fromber, what? Fromber Valdez, I believe. Yeah, I'm like, dude, this guy is the real deal. And they're like, yeah, we've been talking about him. I'm like, no, you haven't. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and so he's just coming out. And he's got polished breaking stuff. The dude's not afraid of the moment. I'm like, where are all these guys coming from? And how are you preparing these players? Why aren't the Yankees doing this? Why aren't these other teams doing this? But it goes to show, like, there's a lot of work that's involved in building great baseball teams. There's, It's not just the players, right? So um, it is, it's not surprising. I would not, I wouldn't be shocked if the Astros bring some other young guy up. It's not going to be forced Whitley, but it's, <laughs> it, it could be some other guy and, they just step up. They find ways, and that's just part of the DNA of that organization. So I hope – I picked the A's to win the division right oh. early on. That's what I did, and yeah. I just looked at the lineup, and I was like, this team is just – they're built better. Like, they should win They should win this division, better pitching. They've, they have the experience to do so. So I, And they also have room to spend if they want to go acquire talent at the deadline. I know they never do that, but they could. They get something short-term. Now, if they, if they want to go borrow a Trevor Story and throw him at shortstop or and just say, hey, we'll use that as a rental, do something, who knows, right? If they want to go do that, the A's could go do that. But Houston always just lingers. And then eventually they they succumb to the Houston Astros, and then that's where that's where I'm eventually like, maybe I should just keep picking Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you'd want Story coming over to the Yankees, right? I do. I, I definitely do. I was looking more so I would love Trevor Story to be a Yankee, but I would like that Jesse Winker or whatever. Oh, whatever yeah. his name. That dude, he's that good. dude can mash. Whatever he's, he's so doing. Good. I know, yeah, Brian Cashman's already talked about. It. He's like, we need a lefty bat. I'm like, well, that dude's a lefty bat. Are you kidding me? He's hit a home run like five straight games. Whatever <laughs> he's doing, the Yankees need more of because he's he's got that bat to ball skill that DJ LeMahieu has where he can go on a on a, he can hit 450 for an, or 500 for a, for a couple weeks. He can get that locked in. And those are the type of players you like, especially going into the postseason. And I know the Yankees, they don't really care so much about just winning regular season games. They've got to win a World Series. Like It's, it's enough. They, it's been 12 yeah. years since they won a World Series. They need those type of bats and maybe another big arm. So maybe swing a trade for a Winker and, a, and a Luis Castillo if you can. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. I like that. And the Reds are going to be selling. They're not they're twenty and twenty-five right now. Let's see what they do this weekend. Reds. I'd imagine they were okay the way the way Winker hit. No, I, I don't think they were actually. Where wow, that's sad. Two of oh Brewers take two of three in Cincinnati this weekend, and the Brewers okay. really need that because they just got Yelich back. The Milwaukee Brewers were in first place on May first. They're sixteen and ten. And since then, they've been 7-13, and 13, and that's pretty much been an entire month without Yelich. Yelich is back. Brewers need to, need to get it uh, clicking here soon. Well, well, Milwaukee has that starting pitching that those, yes. those other teams just don't have. The Corbin Burns, those, I mean, those guys, are, those, those guys are the real deal. So it would not surprise me if Milwaukee just catches fire, and that's when you start seeing Cincinnati's and those other teams selling. 
So who knows? The Yankees might lock up. <laughs> the other few sweeps that we had, we had the Rockies sweeping the Diamondbacks. Not very consequential there. But the Dodgers and the Padres, these teams are heating up. Padres now have the best record in baseball. They've won 10 or 11 straight at this point. They sweep the Seattle Mariners. And the Dodgers sweep the San Francisco Giants. One of my favorite stories of the week. Scott Kazmir getting the nod last night. His first Major League appearance since 2016 at age 37. And he actually did pretty well. He went four innings pitched, two hits, one earned. I'm happy for the lost. guy. I'm, yeah, I'm happy for him as a person because obviously he's doing this. He's doing this because he loves baseball, but... How how strange is that to see players be 37 years old playing baseball? And when I saw his name, I was like, well, that can't be right. That was the first thing I thought. They were like, Scott Kazmir has hit the mound. And someone just tweeted that casually. I'm like, Scott Kazmir, Scott Kazmir? And so I had to go check. And sure enough, there he was with his locks. I mean, it looked a little different from the days of when I was watching him. He had the short hair. So yeah, happy to see it. Uh, maybe not so much as a, as a giant, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was surprising. Just just flat out surprising. Is this where the Giants are going to start falling off? Because this is their first bit of adversity they've faced so far. They were swept at home by the Dodgers. And they've really been great so far this year. But it's hard to believe with... It's hard to believe that that pitching staff... Now maybe, I guess, with this current state of baseball, maybe the pitching staff actually does better than we expect because no one's hitting very much but that pitching staff they've had four or five guys in that rotation with sub three eras really um you know alex wood's been really good kevin gossman's been really good johnny cueto has looked good uh anthony de has been really good but it's hard for me to imagine that that rotation does this for 162 games what do you think I don't think the front office wants that. I think what they're going to do is try to sell high. I think you saw Baltimore try to do the same thing with Matt Harvey. You bring on a guy on the roster and say, well, look, if we can get him to have a resurgence with our team, we can move some of these guys with advanced age to send them to a team who needs to win right now. Say the Milwaukee Brewers, if Matt Harvey turned out to be a, a winning project, all of a sudden Milwaukee can be like, well, we can go get somebody to, to sure up the back end of that of uh, that back end of that rotation and suddenly you have some pieces of value and you can build towards being young and ultimately that's what the giants are trying to do right now they're in that little hybrid range yeah. where they have some guys who are contributing you're like he is not the age who should be a contributor but he is a short-term guy for the right team so if you can take advantage of that and play well and make sure you get rid of guys at the right time i think the giants can really have a um, have some big moves during the deadline yeah, I think it would be the best thing for them to start losing some games. So you don't have those expectations. Because last year, this is where the expanded playoff thing probably hurt them because they were in the same spot where they could have sold and they ended up saying, well, we'll try to sneak, we'll try to get into the playoffs. We, we'll keep the pieces on board and they end up being team number nine. Uh, this year, if you're team number nine out of five, I mean, five teams make the playoffs, then you're going to have an easier time making that decision to sell this time around. So we'll see what ends up happening over the next month, month and a half. But yeah, I definitely think that they're probably going to 
Uh, yeah, if, and they haven't really had anyone get injured aside from La Stella, for that matter. Cueto missed a little time, but they've been healthy. They've had some good luck. They've been a really good home team. Eventually, they're going to have a, a big-time road trip. They're probably going to start tailing off. Yeah, sell while you're up. That's just what you got to do. Yeah. And it, it, it might suck right now, but ultimately, the goal is to win a World Series. The Giants fans, Giants fans know what the goal is. They've won plenty of World Series in the last 10, 15 years. These fans know that sometimes rebuilding stinks, but then if you do it the right way, I mean, we can't forget Houston had some tough times and it, look, it was all ended up being worth it just because they did things the, the way that it needed to be done. So it wouldn't surprise me if they end up making those trades, especially with those advanced guys. I mean, Scott Kazmer is probably a little too advanced to send in a trade, <laughs> yeah. right? But if you see a, um, yeah, maybe not Buster Posey. Cause I mean, he's a lifelong giant, yeah. but, but some of these pitchers, the guys yeah. that are getting some real value out of, there's some teams that could use that, especially right now. So that would not um i would like to see that i mean i'm not a giants fan i've never liked the giants so <laughs> yeah i hope i hope they sell <laughs> well the dodgers uh one thing on the dodgers of course from this past week is albert pujols uh joins the team and you know this was a long week gary i can't believe it's been a whole week it feels like it's been two weeks but he started five of seven games for the giants this past week and now the, the or sorry for the dodgers i mean to say the dodgers Five of seven for the Dodgers this past week. And the Dodgers have had a number of injuries. So he's in, a, in an opportunity. They're going to platoon quite a bit with that team. He mashes against lefties. So uh, through five games, 263 batting average. Uh, OBP's not great. Oh, uh, or Sorry. Yeah, OBP's not great. It's a 300. 721 OPS. So that's a, around league average. But, I mean, Albert Pools can still play. Yeah, and and he's also a leader, which is yeah. great. And and you saw Mike Trout say how hard it was to see him go. There's a reason for that. He didn't play his best baseball in Anaheim. That Mike Trout's not oblivious to that. Albert Pujols knows the same thing. He knows he wasn't the machine in Anaheim, yeah. but his leadership was there. The the leader that he was in St. Louis, he brought that with him. And he's going to bring it with him to LA. So it's it's nice to have him especially with those fringe players at the bottom of the like we're talking about the 40th man on the roster that guy's not going to make or break the team so if you have a guy who's bringing certain qualities to a team i mean you see it with the lakers with jared dudley jared dudley's not scratching the court but he does have a role and there's some players that while you know they can bring some things on the floor or on the court or on the in the baseball field there are things that are intangible intangibly that can help these other guys so i like pools in la yeah, and against lefties, I mean, this year against lefties, he's hitting 282, 813 OPS with three homers. That's above average. That's that's actually quite good. It's very good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I yeah, I mean, even even if he was bringing nothing offensively, yeah. who gives a rip, right? Yeah. He, as long as everyone's happy to have his presence in there, those the last guys on the roster aren't doing. Often they're not doing anything. I feel like. We're having a little bit of a Pujols revival over the past couple weeks. Like, if he hadn't been dropped by the Angels, I mean, mm-hmm. Angels aren't a story this year. Angels stink, and I never buy into the Angels. I think this happens every single year with the Angels. It's like, oh, I think people talk themselves into They want to see Mike Trout. They want to see Otani in the postseason. With Pujols on that team, he wasn't even playing a whole lot. It's a crummy right. team. And then the fact that everything happened over the past week, 
there's been a lot more attention to Pujols. And I think people are starting to kind of remember how great this guy was and that we should be sending him off the same way that we sent off Derek Jeter. Yeah, and it's the same thing you're seeing with Phil winning a major. Yeah. It, you haven't, he hasn't won in a while. He hasn't really competed in a while. He hasn't, been, he hasn't played well at all. So when you see a guy who's advanced in age and, and certain, like well, an older part of that audience is saying, this guy was so good and this is what I remember about him. When he goes and does something elite late in his career, it helps the younger generations understand what it was that we were seeing in Albert Pujols. People do not even understand the level of the level that Albert Pujols was playing in St. Louis. I mean, he was literally a joke. They called him the machine. The guy was hitting 340 every single season. He was much like Miguel Cabrera. 340 every year. 45 home runs, 125, 130 RBIs, and he was taking walks. He was never striking out. He was the perfect offensive player. Literally, the only thing he couldn't do is run. Yeah. So it's like he was unreal. So when you see a guy go for a tailspin, really, in Anaheim because of injury, it's nice nice to see him have some success, like just something, right? I mean, yeah. it sucks. Like for a lot of fans, they don't want to see it with the Dodgers, and that's understandable. <laughs> yeah. But to see Albert Pujols doing really anything now is is nice. Yeah, and he's such a class act. I mean, there was a video last night on Twitter where he came back to the dugout and he just gave his bat to a kid sitting right mm-hmm. next to the dugout. And he's been doing that for 20 years. Like this is this is a guy that I feel like – the fact that he was cut, it put more of a spotlight on him. And even if he doesn't play a whole lot, this team gets healthy and you see him twice a week at most, if that. But you're going to see him on the Dodgers. He's going to pinch hit a little bit. He's going to be in the playoffs. I mean, this is good. I think this the way this is turning out, because when it happened, I was like, I was really just upset that the Angels would treat a guy of his caliber in his final year who's been right. such a great ambassador for the sport. I think it's actually working out better than it, it could have. Yeah, I mean, what would you what would you rather be doing right now? I mean, still living in LA. Yeah. And he doesn't have to deal with Anaheim anymore. Anaheim is a just whatever they're doing does is not what you do. They yeah. everything they do, <laughs> they tell Tory Hunter they don't have the money to give him an extension. What do they do a week later? They give Josh Hamilton an extension. They just everything they and I know it's different management, but yeah. that organization just continues to show that they don't have, they don't make the right moves. They, Mike Trout. I mean, we we tried to say it, Mike Trout. You need to you need to get out of town. You need to get out of town. Now we don't just say that because everyone's saying, oh, he needs to become a Yankee. We'd love him to become a Yankee. But the thing is, is when Albert Pujols and all these guys, when you put your career in their hands, you're at their disposal too. Yeah. Like you have to keep in mind, even though you're given a ten year deal for ludicrous amounts of money 240 million and in mike trout's scenario 420 million 426 million i believe that sounds like a win but the thing is he could have went and got that money anywhere and unfortunately you know the and the angels really showed you that if you're mike trout if you're Albert pools they don't care all it really matters is what are you doing for me right now and if you're not doing anything sayonara and that's and and i understand the business side of that but there's also there's also some sense of family that they're supposed to be there and a respect that's supposed to be present, and it just wasn't. We see, we'll see how they end up managing Otani because we had this past week, Otani was topping out at 91 in the first inning, which is a big drop in velo. Yeah. And then Madden was doing stuff where he put him out in right field. He was putting Justin Upton out in center field. Like It's the typical Madden stuff, yet... 
it's not really the team to kind of tinker around and do the the Madden stuff with. I just think that team's a dumpster fire right now. Yeah, it's a joke because like, people don't realize like what Otani's doing is fantastic, but recovery wise, this is not good. Like, yeah. When you when you pitch, and I don't know how many people who are listening to this broadcast who have actually pitched six or seven innings how much pain your body is in and how much stress is on your arm, your elbow, your shoulder, your bicep, everything, your back is sore, all these different things, depending on how you pitch and where there is stress on your body, your body needs to recover. That's why when you watch college pitchers or high school pitchers throw, the second they're done pitching, they have ice on their arm. The moment they're off the mound, they're already, the trainer's already working on their body. Now, Otani, instead of doing those things to recover, at the velocity and the impact that he's pitching with, he's in right field. Now his yeah. body is not recovering. It's just standing there and actually it, you can call it staying warm, but his body has to recover. That's why Garrett Cole is all wrapped up like a mummy and Otani standing in right field, still worrying about at bats. So it's very demanding on his body. And ultimately I hope to see him stay healthy because if he does, he'll probably be the MVP. But this organization is is asking for, you know, it's a tall task and he's doing it at an elite level and it's still not mattering. That organization yeah. still stinks. So <laughs> sucks. <laughs> there we go. All right. So we still got, we got a few more of these to run through. So we had the twins taking two of three, even though the twins stink, they take two of three from in Cleveland. Uh, I they're gonna need to rattle off a lot of those. I can't remember which twins. I think it was maybe Josh Donaldson. One of those guys said we're gonna have to win every series from now to like middle of August, and maybe maybe not to that exact extent, but it's going to be something like that in order for the twins to come back. I think the twins are done. I don't think matters so. though. Yeah, they're not good. The the, yeah. the team's not good. The lineup. I mean, the lineup is okay. Like yeah. they're fine, but. As an entire unit, you need to be good at uh, many things in baseball to win. That's why you see the Angels just keep signing bats, and guess what? They don't win. So the, you go get Rendon, you can go get Otani, Mike Trout, all these players. That doesn't mean you're going to start winning. Your entire unit has to be good. So it's uh, it, it's the Twins are just they're not the right roster to come back from this point. You're not dead in the water just because you have this record. You're dead in the water because you have this record, and then your team looks like this. Yeah, so. very true, very true. And they, they don't win in the playoffs either. They've lost. No. The last time they won a playoff series, I think it was 0-1. And, wow. uh, yeah, it's been ugly with the Minnesota Twins. Okay, so Marlins take two of three at home for the Mets. Mets are starting to slide once again. Yeah, that magic was running out. They were winning games that I didn't expect them to win. I mean, you saw when Kevin Pillar got hurt. They were in a little bit of a feel-good moment because, I mean, they – they were showing that they have a great locker room, which is nice. I mean, that is a good thing to see that these guys actually like each other. So that was nice to see. But that only brings you so far in Major League Baseball. You're not just going to be winning baseball games all season long because you like each other. You have to also have the roster construction. You have to play well. There's all these things. You have to have the right manager in place. So the, the Mets, they need Jacob DeGrom. They need all these guys to come back because if they don't, they're not scoring runs already as is. And now with DeGrom out and some of these arms out, it, they're they're struggling to get guys out too. Yeah. So then we also had on top of that, Phillies lose two or three at home to the Boston Red Sox. And like that's a big series win for the Red Sox. This team, again, another one that I'm not 
I'm not, I'm not, I haven't bought into them. I'm not sold on the Red Sox quite yet. But if they keep winning these series, because now the schedule's getting a lot tougher, and this schedule up through around from now to the start of August is maybe the toughest schedule of any any team has to play. They're they started off with a lot of soft teams. It's getting a lot tougher, but uh, good job by the Red Sox. Two or three from Philly. Great lineup. Boston can really swing. Oh, yeah. yeah, those guys can really hit the ball. And you can see last year they were pressing just for the short season. Obviously, they they didn't have a lot of their guys running out there, but J.D. Martinez is back. A lot of these guys are back. Philly, though, on the other hand, that, that roster is just not it. And the worst part about Philly right now is they just they don't have the farm system to go get any help. They can't go make a trade. They can't. Everyone says we need this, we need that. You need you need prospects to go do that. This front office knows. Hey, if we can go grab a that that whole Andrew Miller type deal where you go get some wipeout arm and say let's go plug him in, they would love to do that. But when you don't have the capital to make those trades, it's like playing a game of Monopoly when you don't have the pieces to make a deal. <laughs> Yeah. You're stuck. You're just kind of watching other people play their game until you're out of until you're out of gas. So Philly is in a really bad spot, man. They, that team is while the record is not horrendous, I don't see them trending the right direction. I see I only see it getting worse. The problem with what the Phillies did was they started making all these moves that you make when you're only a couple pieces away from a championship. Right. And what they they had nobody I mean, very few guys that were solidified from their young core. They were, it was, you go back a few years and you would say, man, that Phillies team should be good in a couple of years. They got a nice young core, but they, des- one, they didn't, they didn't develop the talent very well. Some of those guys haven't panned out at the major league level, but then they also made the trades. Like they traded Sixto Sanchez for JT Real Muto. Right. Sixto Sanchez would be great for them to have. I mean, yeah. JT, Real, JT Real Muto is great to have, but they they really, as you mentioned, they emptied out the farm system, went win now without really any depth behind that squad that they went out and got. Yeah, and they didn't develop talent at all. I mean, you see Howard yeah. has not pitched well. He's supposed to be a big-time arm. He's been, he just hasn't been good. And then you have Scott Kingery, who they gave an extension to. Scott oh, Kingery man, yeah. is th- that he literally, he was wor- he's worth a minimum, he's not even worth a roster spot. So when you give a guy $26 million, which I know a lot of people think is not a whole lot of money in the grand scheme, it is $26 million still. I don't care if it's you consider a discount for the type of player you thought he was going to be. When a guy is a, a minor leaguer, the way he's performing, you can't pay guys millions of dollars. It, it costs the organization up top, and that's something that is that's a problem. So he was supposed to be this utility guy, this DJ LeMahieu-type player where you can stick him in left field and wherever the roster really needs him he can just we can kind of put his bat in the big leagues well he has not been that so when you don't get that type of production from a a big time arm and when you go get a zach wheeler it's supposed to be zach wheeler and some prospects you got and you have a little bit of a mix there all their performers are really free agent acquisitions and you run out of luck there so eventually your prospects have to do something and they're just not getting an impact yeah, and what you said about Kingery is similar to what the Cubs did to David Bodie as well. It's like, we're going to, and the the Bodie thing was even odder because it's like, we have this guy who's not even an everyday player and we can extend him to lock him up for virtually the same amount of time. You're basically just giving him a raise 
and avoiding arbitration when the arbitration number he got 15 million on his extension um his arbitration number would be 500,000 last this year probably uh, but i want to say though it is nice that they did such a thing but you have to do it for the right player exactly See, people say yes. that the padres did this to tatis too they said well we do not want you playing we want to reward you for being such a great player and such a great leader for this team but he's also fernando tatis jr <laughs> it's solidified that he's an elite player so we can go pay him above what we really have to pay him Scott Kingery, on the other hand, has never done anything yeah. at the big league level to say, here's what I'm going to be in the big leagues. He's really shown what he could be. And you don't pay people based on what they could be. You pay them based on what they are doing. So it's definitely – that was a frustrating move just to watch it. I'm glad I'm not a Phillies fan just just seeing that. <laughs> but that's that's sort of the root of their problems. They, they make moves like that. Well, I think, yeah, the big thing is like with Kingery and Bodie, it's like those guys are, oh, they're a utility guy. Well, they don't really have a position. Like, what is the position? Whereas with Tatis, it's, I mean, Tatis got a bigger number than anyone's gotten because typically you look at like, we're trying to save money on these extensions and he got what he'd probably get if he was hitting the open market right now. Whereas like, I think the best example would be the Cunha and Albies deals. The Braves got those two guys on are just bargains. Those guys really hadn't played a whole lot. They they've have locked up for a lot for a, a good amount of years and not a lot of money. And the first one I think the first team to ever do that was uh, Evan Longoria with the Rays actually. Right. Uh, it's a sweet deal as long as it works. Yeah. But if it doesn't work it's garbage. Yeah. Really bad. You you cannot give a player who does not pan out. You need to be sure. And they weren't sure. They just made a guess and unfortunately it didn't work. So uh, two more of these. The Royals take two of three from the Tigers. Maybe the Royals can hop back into this race. Are, are we officially out on the Royals? They're 22 and 23. Four games out of first. Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's tough to win a division. And yeah. when you don't spend a ton of money, you need to really be hitting on all these different on, on guys who are homegrown. I don't see them really being elite in that way and to the point where they can go carry a division. That doesn't mean they're not good. You can still be good and not make it. So I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. I I know a lot of people told me preseason that they look, this team's not that bad. And I didn't, I kind of overlooked them and here we are. So happy to see it. Yeah. I think the Royals, uh, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. I guess you have to kind of look through who's a contender and who isn't, which I guess we could do right now in the AL. We got, Really good feeling the White Sox are going to win the AL Central. I don't think any of these teams are on as talented as they are. Cleveland doesn't have the bats. Um, and then with that, we have in probably the wild card spots are probably going to come out of the East and the West because whichever team, whether it's Houston or Oakland, is going to be right there for a wild card. And now you have four teams in the mix of things in the AL East. So, yeah, I think for that reason, I probably have the Royals as deadline sellers. And they actually have a lot of good pieces too. So if they sell, um, I mean, maybe they think they're closer and they can get there in a year or two if they can get some pitching. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they do. What do you think about the AL? It's, I mean, it's, it's wide open. Any of these teams can really win the AL. Um, even the White Sox who, and that's part of the reason why La Russa was the pick is because they saw the American League being open. 
They, they saw Houston taking a step back. They saw the Yankees who were willing to stay under the cap because if the Yankees went out and got Trevor Bauer or teams had any type of idea that the Yankees were going to go get a big fish like that, you'd see, you'd see some of these teams pumping the brakes. You see the Royals being like, no, no we're rebuilding, right? Yeah. That's when you start seeing teams say, well, maybe we, maybe we're in two or three years. But now that the Yankees have really went bargain shopping and they, they are hitting on them with Corey Kluber and all these guys, it's still open. Teams can still beat the Yankees. They can still beat the White Sox. They're beat teams, good teams, but beatable. So the American League is going to be wide open, and you know we're going to see. I don't know what that means for the buy or sell. I would just assume that teams are going to be aggressive. Yeah, I think we're going to have a good trade deadline, especially if the Cubs are selling. If the Cubs are selling and those guys are available, imagine that. I know. Chris Bryant, yeah, Baez, yeah. we'll see. All right, finally... The Atlanta Braves, maybe they're turning the corner here in the NL East. They win three of four. I think a, a quick fix when you have a home series against the Pittsburgh Pirates, you get to play four games. Maybe that gets you back on track. Friday night, they score 20 runs. Today, um, by the way, today I think was impressive because GT Brubaker has been the Pirates' best pitcher, and they shelled him. They put up seven runs on him in two innings or something of that effect uh are the braves gonna start heating up here i wouldn't i would say that i would like them to come i chose them to win the world series i expected the, all these guys freed to be a lot better i've expected these guys to be a lot better some of the returners so i wouldn't say they're back yet i mean definitely wouldn't say they're back because roster wise they don't have much pitching i yeah. mean that's they've got to get guys out and yeah, that's the soroka that's that, thing really killed them that was awful killed them yeah so you the Braves, they were able to find some diamonds in the rough in their system and and really get some production that we didn't see coming in the last few years. But eventually, guys have to get healthy. That has to happen. So I'm just I'm, I'm hesitant on saying they're back. I hope that they're better. But um, they, these guys could always hit. I just don't know if they can pitch. Is there a team in the NL East that you like more than them at this particular time? No. Yeah. No, the, these teams to me the 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 NL East is a really weak division. I think these teams are bad. I yeah. think Philly is a bad baseball team. Um, yeah. The Mets are bad. They just have bad juju, bad health. Health is very important to winning. If you can't stay healthy, whatever the reason is for that, if you can't stay healthy, you're just not going to win a division. As much as I want you guys and I or like I want you guys to win a division and think it'd be good for baseball, you can't win when when Jacob Degrom is is pitching and winning nine games because the lineup can't stay on the field. That's it, it's tough to pick for you. It's tough to pick that team. So no, I don't see anybody being better than Atlanta. Um, so I think Atlanta ultimately will come out on top. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah, I think this is a good time. I went to a little little update on the standings here. Uh, Washington with their sweep. I don't think that team's very good either. They're only two and a half games out of first place, and they're in last place. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it's a, yeah, the division's bad. It, it's just that's just what it is. Like right now, they're just kind of beating each other up. Not a good division. So, you know, we we don't really know what to make of it. We don't know if they're going to sell, if they're going to buy. Atlanta tends to never buy. They just that's not how they run things. So, it's going to be wild. I think a lot of these teams are just going to stand pack, especially in the NL East. And the results are just going to be random. That's what it is. And then we've got the Cubs and Cardinals playing tonight on Sunday Night Baseball. There will not be a sweep in effect. We'll see which team ends up taking this series in St. Louis. 
Cardinals atop of the NL Central. They have a three-game lead. Brewers are right around 500. Cubs are t- actually above 500 right now. Right. Uh, thoughts on the NL Central? I still like the Cardinals just because yeah. of that lineup. I, I love the lineup. I, yeah. I just think they can hit good pitching. They will do it late in the season. I'll pick St. Louis every day of the week. NL West, we have three teams that are uh, only a couple games within each other. Uh Padres now at 30 and 17. They've won nine straight. Dodgers have won seven straight, 29 and 18. And we have the Giants at 28 and 19. And then we got, you know, Colorado and Arizona at the bottom. But I think what we're going to see here is I think we're really getting into what we thought this would be coming into the season, where we're going to have these two super teams that are going to be slugging it out for the NL West title. And I think that I think the Giants definitely are going to be tailing off here soon. The Dodgers are going to win the division, and that's yeah. and that's just because I mean you see Bellinger coming back this weekend. These guys are going to get healthy. That's the reason that they were losing games in the first place is they were not on the field. You saw Mookie Betts dealing with all types of injuries, and you saw Cody Bellinger who has not really touched the field much this season. Once those guys get on the field, I mean, talent wise, they are just so much better than every other team other than maybe San Diego. So I expect it to be close. I don't want to write off San Diego. It wouldn't surprise me if they they won a division by a half game. But ultimately, I have to go with what usually happens, and it's that talent and, and, and that type of history of playing together. It eventually just teams succumb to that. Yep. And then in the AL side, White Sox have a game-and-a-half lead over the Indians. We've got a really exciting AL East race with Boston and Tampa now tied for first place. Yankees only half a game out. That's such a great race. Toronto drops a little bit after the sweep. Uh, They've actually lost five straight now. They're 23 and 22. Right. And then in the AL West, we already mentioned uh, A's and Astros and then a bunch of also rands in that division as well. Yeah, and I'm obviously I'm big. I'm a Yankees fan, but I, I see us being buyers. I, as long as somebody's on a decent contract, I can see the Yankees being buyers. And some of these other teams like the Red Sox, who I think are still going to always be trying to go win a division, they are the Red Sox. But right. I, I still have New York trying to trying to come out of the American League. I think now's the time. So we'll see. Gary, is there anything else baseball-wise that I may have missed from the past week? Any other thoughts you have? Well, we might have missed a no-hitter. Just, just recording this show. <laughs> no, no, man. I, you did a great job. I, I, I just hope to see some aggressive play, especially in the trade market, because some of these teams are just bad, man. They, they, they they're bad. Like there's, there's contenders with no bullpens. There's teams who can't stay healthy. There's just so much at play right now. Um, I hope, I hope that these front offices are taking the, the season serious instead of just worrying about winning regular season games, and they're actually trying to build rosters and and build their roster for uh, a world series so i I hope all right you catching any games summer any new ballparks i'm gonna go to fenway i i know i've been to fenway as a little kid but i haven't been in a long time i'm gonna i'm gonna find a way to get up there i still haven't been to new yankee stadium either oh nice yeah i think i'm gonna try cincinnati and uh cleveland do that one in a weekend yes cleveland is underrated oh underrated stadium very nice and what'd you think of fort worth you were down in fort worth last week i loved it i went to this play i can't remember what it was called it was like eight 
something. It was like some, it was some barbecue place and it was delicious. It was so good. It wasn't, I, I could not believe it. No, it was, uh, God, I can't, I cannot, I cannot remember this, but <laughs> I never remember it, but it was so good. And I got like a 32 ounce ribeye. It was, it was like a, tw- it was a 22 ounce ribeye with a baked potato and just, oh yeah, I was ready for a nap. It's impossible to eat healthy down there. So my sister just graduated from TCU. Uh, I was down there a week before you were. So the last four years, had a lot of great food down there. Pretty much gave up on ever trying to eat healthy when I was down there in Texas. Uh, it's, a, it's a great state. It's awesome. It is. And the people were so nice to me. I mean, the people were just so genuine. It's just nice to walk in somewhere. Please, thank you. Yeah. Um, nice to see you. People actually engaging with you. You don't see that in many other towns, so it was refreshing. Yeah, and I saw you tweet something to this effect, and my brother and I were saying the same thing when we were down there. Like, the women down here are just absolutely beautiful. They're they're yeah. so gorgeous. Yeah, blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, I mean, it was just and, but more importantly, it was like, women are just better when they're polite. People are better <laughs> when they're polite. Yeah, it's just not enjoyable when you sometimes when I'll go to Scottsdale and. In certain like, you know, women and men, they both do it, right? Where they yeah. just act like you don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what's funny is uh, hey. Scott. Oh, did you cut out for a sec? I did. Yeah, my AirPods died. Okay, you're back though. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what's funny is one of my buddies, Albert Destrade. He was actually on Survivor. He's been on this show a few times. He does a dating podcast, and one of the things he does is he likes to try to check out the dating scenes in other parts of the country, and so he's in Miami. So he was using Hinge, and he thinks, you know what? The number one location that he thinks he's going to find women that he's going to like the most, Scottsdale, Arizona. He went well, it's, to- the best looking, it's the best-looking women by far okay. is in Scottsdale. It's no, there's no question. I mean, it's just they're just better. It's yeah. like Beverly Hills, except less plastic surgery, and <laughs> they're just—they're not—they're still nicer people in general. So, yeah, no, Scottsdale, Arizona is a joke. I don't know how people date and living <laughs> in this area. I have no clue. It's just a bad idea. So, yeah, I've always—I've tr- always tried to be like, maybe I'll dabble in the dating scene, and then all of a sudden I'll go out to Old Town Scottsdale. I'm like, nah, nope, not gonna happen. <laughs> All right, Gary. So what can what are you working on this week that people can uh, check out? How can they follow along with everything you're working on right now? I'm always working on Twitter. I'm always working on my Twitter <laughs> game. Uh, I mean, obviously, I'm a writer, so you can find me at outkick.com. But just Gary Sheffield Jr. on Twitter, Instagram, anything. I hardly ever use Instagram. Um, I will eventually um, as that grows, but Twitter for sure. All right. Absolutely. Well, this was a great time, Gary. Lots of fun here. Can't believe we went an hour 40 deep, but so many great baseball thoughts. Uh, would love to get do it again maybe later in the season. Thank you for having me, man. Good luck with the show. All right, y'all. That does it for my conversation with Gary Sheffield Jr. Was a lot of fun having him here on the podcast and really fun Now, we've had three different connections to the 90s National League East on this podcast, all family members of players from that that era. So we have Jordan Morandini, the son of Mickey Morandini, coming on this podcast regularly. We've had Albert Destrade, the nephew of Marlins player, Arrestus Destrade. 
And now we have the son of former Marlin and former Brave, Gary Sheffield. Gary Sheffield Jr., he does an awesome job at OutKick. Really great guy. Check him out. Follow him on Twitter. And uh, check out what he's working on at OutKick. He does a great job. Love his baseball content. He's working real hard. Uh, perfect timing to have him here for the PGA Championship. Uh, really, that kind of snuck up on me, honestly. I had forgotten that they moved that to... I mean, that that tournament historically had been in August for the longest time. I forgot that it had been moved to May. It escaped me up until a few days ago that this tournament was going on. Phil wins it. Uh, so perfect time to have him on. And he's a big he's a big golf guy. So was a lot of fun having him on. Y'all, if you like this podcast, subscribe. We do baseball, baseball and sports news recaps every single week. Uh, it's been pretty baseball heavy, so if you like baseball, make sure you're subscribed. Uh, we got a lot coming up over the next couple of weeks. I will be, unfortunately, I don't have the guest book, so I can't tell you who's coming on, but it looks like we're probably going to do something where we're going to award our quarter season all-stars That now that we're about 40 games in, 25% of the way into the regular season. We're going we're to crown some all-stars, so we're going to do that sometime soon. We're also going to, again, recap the latest sports news this time next week. There'll be another guest, and we're going to talk with more people from the Bachelor franchise, from Big Brother, from Survivor, from reality TV. Jordan Kimball was so kind to start hooking me up and connecting me with some of these folks from these shows. Uh, it was really great having him on this show if you watched him on Bachelorette or Bachelor in Paradise, he had a lot of, I mean, he's just a great character. He's a hilarious, funny, kind-hearted dude. Check that out if you want to know more about the show um, or if you just want to be entertained by a funny, fun person. Uh, make sure you check that out. Subscribe to the Jack Vita Show so you don't miss out on what we have coming up. Oh, and one more thing. We're going to do a live stream. We haven't booked it yet. We don't have a time. It's going to happen soon, and we're going to try to collect names for Valparaiso, my university, their new mascot, because they got rid of the name Crusader, and now they need a new team name. So if you have a good suggestion for a team name, tweet it at me, at Jack Vita Show. We'll do a live stream with Andrew Stem and Parker Gatewood, and we'll hash out the best name ideas, take as many suggestions as we can, Try to interact as much on the chat. Should be a lot of fun. So, again, subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Log on to my website, jackvita.com. Click on one of my articles and join my email list. So then you get notifications whenever there's new content available. I'm writing a lot. I'm podcasting a lot. And, uh, yeah. I appreciate it. So thanks again to everyone for tuning in. Lots more coming soon. Until the next time you hear from me, podcast adjourned. Bring in the dancing lobsters. <laughs> <laughs>